0: Though touted as perhaps the best in the world, the American medical system is filled with hypocrisies. Our healthcare is staggeringly expensive, yet 1 in 6 Americans has no health insurance. We have some of the the most skilled physicians in the world, yet 100,000 patients die each year for medical errors. Going beyond sick care requires informed and empowered patients. This is achievable through price transparency and unbiased quality care that meets both public and private health insurance regulations. This podcast aims to explore the intricacies of quality patient care through thought-provoking conversations with providers, healthcare executives, corporate CEOs, technologists, and patients. We'll also seek to provide you with simplified actionable paths to feeling good and living well. This is the Empowered Patient Podcast, and today we have a special guest, um, the CEO of um, Quality TV, Deshaun. Sean, um Spencer, and um, she's been doing this for five years now, um, and we're excited to have her today on the call, and we will be really discussing everything startup, from when the inception, inception of her idea to where it is now, and how the, her business has been affected by COVID-19. So, um, Sean, um, yes. welcome, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Can you um, kind of spend some time um, going through your background a bit so that our audience know who you
1: are? Sure. So thanks for having me again. I'm the founder of Quilly TV. That's K-W-E-L-I-TV. We are a video streaming service. We celebrate Black stories from around the world through independent films, documentaries, web shows, children's programming news, and live experiences. For those who don't know, Kweli means truth in Swahili, and so our mission is to curate content that shows a true reflection of the global black experience. My background is in journalism. Um, my dream was to be a everyday journalist, go out and do stories interview people. I remember being in college where things sort of changed for me, I worked for a daily paper. I was an obit writer to start off, so obituaries for people. Obit is like a, a journalism term, for the obituary writer, and It was really great to get my feet wet and actually work in a newsroom, but it was also depressing too, um, doing my stories about death and gloom. And when I graduated from college, I worked in my junior senior year. When I graduated from college, I moved to the Bay Area and I worked for the Oakland Tribune, another newspaper, and I was a cop reporter. Again, very depressing stories. And you're a cop reporter, like there is no, there's nothing positive about it. And one of the things I noticed the most about being a journalist, so there are two types of journalists. I always tell people. There are those who they can write stories and they can separate themselves from the things that are happening in a story. Like if something bad happens to someone or it's a very tragic type of story. And then there are people who are like me. I'm, I'm a very empathetic person. And those types of stories would come home with me. I'd be thinking about the people and the parents who I interviewed or whatever. And I kind of knew early on that working in that type of environment wasn't good for me mentally. Mm-hmm. Writing, constantly writing stories, either I was going to become like a nervous wreck all the time or i become i wouldn't be i wouldn 't be empathetic anymore and there were people who I met in the newsroom who were very callous people they, the people were dying in some sometimes very strange ways, and people would make fun of them like some journalists would actually joke about how people died and it was very not everyone but there were some people who just weren 't as compassionate as I would assume they would have been as journalists. Of course, there are definitely people who were, but if you're in the industry, you sort of have to sort of not have that side of you come on all the time because it can be very depressing. And I was like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to, have, I want to, I don't want to lose my empathy. And so I really was trying to figure out, like, how can I still do what I love, which is writing stories, telling stories, but at the same time be able to show my empathy and be able to create a space that's empowering and impactful versus something that's very doom and gloom and, and depressing and so my initial ideal was to start an online magazine and so i moved to dc area uh, when i was 24 years old and i worked for a trade association i wanted to learn everything about the magazine industry and i did start an online magazine called empower and the goal was to really talk about social justice issues affecting black people and then give people tools on how they can take action so we had we had these things like we have something like a very subject about you know maybe food insecurity or in the community but then we'll say okay yeah this is happening but these are some steps you can take in your community to change this because i'm like i don't want to tell a story and then people walk away like man what can i do so that was like the whole premise of my my initial ideal and I had a, um, had a um, award ceremony called the Empower Players Awards, and we were um, under Everyday Heroes, mostly in DC area, who had created nonprofits or organizations that impacted Black people. And it was almost like seeing the heroes, but a very much scaled down version. <laughs> it was nowhere near. I didn't have John Legend singing, there, you know, on the piano. <laughs> it was nothing of the imagination. It was local artists uh-huh. who were, you know performing but positive uplifting music and so from there the quality TV was kind of in the back of my mind. And I had the idea for quality TV about eight years ago actually. So a long time ago. And what I was working on um working on in in Power Magazine, I remember flipping through a bunch of cable channels one day and I was like, man, this is whack. I didn't see anything I wanted to see. The black women were fighting each other, reality television and I mean, I love my 90s movies, but I'm like, man, how many, I can recite some of these movies. I can, re- literally, I can recite them. I just want to see something new and fresh, and, and the, even some of the other mainstream channels, like the History Channel, Discovery, you don't really see Black people on there at all. Like, like where where are the Black History stories on, on History Channel? Like, even today, like, there's, even on Black History Month, you don't see any Black History stories. Like, where do you find that? And so, um, I started, you know, I, I, we cut, my husband, we cut cable, and we got, like, the very popular streaming service that everyone else has. And they have some black content, but still, like, where's the, where's the historical documentaries? Where are those independent films with black filmmakers, the shorts and the full-length features that you only can see unless you go to a film festival? And from there, I started looking online, like, maybe there's a black streaming service already that exists that's totally catered to independent film, catered to... Like history, kids, and children's programming, and I didn't see it. I was like, no one, no one's doing this. Like everyone's cookie cutter, the same, you know, drama, same stage play type genre. I'm like, we need. There's nothing wrong with that. We need the laugh and we need the stage plays. But I wanted to show something different. And so, um, so no, no shade to anybody. I'm not shading anybody. <laughs> but I wanted to show a different side of our community and a global from a global perspective and. And when I didn't see it, that's when I was like, oh, start a streaming service, <laughs> which is insane actually, because who says that? Um, but that's kind of where it, the, the wheels started to turn with starting the company.
0: And, and so when you have that uh, moment, I've done my research, I've kind of talk, talked to, I've, I've searched what's out there, right? You're kind of looking at your competitive like, landscape. Mm-hmm. And, there, there, seem to be, nah, there seems to be now, there seems to be other streaming channels out there, but one that's catered to specifically independent artists um, and telling the story from that perspective, um, and then also looking at it from a global point of view. How do you then support and scale? So, literally, literally the magazine you started was a stepping stone to that idea, right?
1: Right, yeah. Um, it wasn't
0: because it didn't, it's not, it wasn't just, there was a purpose to the story in that magazine. And then how do you scale and tell and convince and empower those individuals as part of the magazine who are creating themes now, independent themes, to be able to look at it on a more global picture? We wanna, want you to tell your story through a theme, not mm-hmm. just through mm-hmm. writing now. How was this conversation with those artists?
1: So, you know, interesting, when I started in, well, I basically went ahead in Power Magazine. We had writers. We had a board. We would meet, you know, quarterly, and I told them that I was transitioning to Quilly TV, and it's a totally different business. The writers were just writers. They're they're not filmmakers, and so we had to basically part ways. I had to, basically, that part of my business died, in a way. And then, in a way, it's, it's is there the website no longer exists? I, because I felt like I was holding on to empower because I was like, oh, this is this is my destiny. This is what I'm supposed to be working on. And a lot of times for entrepreneurs, you know, we have a, a vision for like, a company and we think that that is what we're supposed to be doing. And, mm-hmm. and and it can hurt us from pivoting to something else. I mean, it was hurt like very hurtful for me to give up. This online magazine. Like I love magazines. I love writing. I love it. Um, but even as I was working on Empower, I was basically diving a little bit into video and starting to do video programming on Empower. And so the the writers they understood that I was working on something new and I wanted to explore this new opportunity. The challenge was, you know, okay, I'm pivoting from an online magazine to a streaming service, I don't have any background in film. Yeah, I've taken film courses, I've taken documentary courses, I did a documentary, but I am not in the TV and film industry. I never worked for Discovery or HBO or I didn't have any of that experience. And so having to you know create something without having any knowledge on how the how the industry works, it was extremely challenging. And then also, getting filmmakers who they know me from Adam, as they say, to trust me with their content um, and understanding sort of how distribution works and all of that, it was a huge learning curve for me, for sure.
0: So how long did that convincing take, right? So <laughs> all you had to convince, um, let's say, you had to convince the independent filmmakers to trust you with their content. Then now you have to go convince, convince the distributors um, I know we're going to get into that later on with Comcast um, and Cox. What? How long did that journey took you to convince the the the, the, the independent filmmakers? Um, is that a, Was that a six month process of, of getting all these independent filmmakers to be on board? Uh, what, what was the journey like?
1: So um, as I mentioned, I've been working on, or well, you mentioned, I've been working on, on the idea for five years. We've been at the beta for two years. So I remember, 2014, I was a finalist for a business plan competition. It was the second business plan competition I had been in. The first one I didn't win for Quilly, but I won. I was a finalist, and at the time, I bought a domain name, like a cheap WordPress site, and kind of wrote down my vision. And so, whenever I would talk to potential filmmakers, they can at least see that I had this vision for this company and see that there was an actual website instead of a coming soon, with nothing there. And so, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to win the money, but I was determined no matter what, like, even if I don't win this, this contest, I'm, I'm determined to try to make this product work. I'm not sure how I'm going to do it without any money. It's not its not a WordPress site. It's a, it's a streaming service. There's a lot, a lot more involved. Uh-huh. And I remember initially my goal was to connect with, um, with film festivals. So I, I put together, which I still have, I still have like a, a database of film festivals, majority black film festivals. I reached out to them, introducing myself, saying, hey, you know, I'm Deshaun, I have ideal for the streaming service, I want to work with you. A lot of filmmakers, they don't have a place for their films to go once they finish the film festival circuit, so now there's an option. None of them got back to me after sending them multiple emails. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I won't be able to go the film festival route, I guess I'm going to have to just reach out to filmmakers personally, and that's exactly what I did, and to this day I still do. We get lots lot of submissions too now, but the, you know, early on, no knowing me from no one knew who I was. And so it was, I was surprised. I'm very thankful um, that at the time, a lot of these filmmakers, there weren't a lot of choices. And um, of course, not everyone jumped on board by the way. And it was, I got a lot of rejection from some filmmakers, but there were, you know, when my goal, when we launched our beta in fall of 2015, the goal was to launch for 50 films. Mm-hmm. We, we launched for 32. So not fifty, but thirty-two. You know, it's not bad. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, it was interesting because they trusted me with their film. They didn't know. They didn't know who I was. They didn't know if I was even going to really pay them. Like I said, I was going to pay them, mm-hmm. but they gave me their content, and I saw. I I took it, and I still to this day I take it very seriously when a filmmaker gives me their content because they don't want. They don't want to want to steal it. They want to make sure they make their money off of it. So it was it was hard convincing early on, uh, but we were able to launch with the thirty-two. And a lesson for me was: okay, am I going to wait for fifty films to launch, or am I just going to launch what I have with the filmmakers to believe in a vision? And I decided to do that. Another dilemma that I had because why we were this is why it took so long for things to pop off is because I had when I won the money, I got the money basically January two thousand fifteen, and I had a developer. Who ghosted on me like he he did so about 90 was it was,
0: was this the 30k
1: it was 20 20K. yeah uh-huh. yeah and so um he did about 90 percent of the site and so and then he moved to colorado and he didn't finish some things and so i was like okay what do i do do i, I have these 30 films 32 films they're ready to go do i Find someone. At that time, I basically gave all the money away to this to this, this to this one person, and I didn't have any more money at that point because I was a startup. Still, I'm a startup. And so, what do I do? Do I um, do I wait? You know, try to find someone else with no with no money to try to fix it, or do I push forward with the 32 filmmakers with the site that's 9 percent done? It could do the basics. You know, it could play films. It can take people's money. Like it did the basics. You know? uh-huh. it, now some of the things didn't work quite so well but it can at least do those two things and so i made the decision to launch our beta based off of that with the 32 films and with the clunky um initial beta
0: so when you launched then with those 32 films right um how did the audience received it right um so that's where this is where you probably go back to reiterating. Um, mm-hmm. Or did you th- think through about th- that, those economics, right? How, how, when I launched with 32, how many users do I need to bring on board, right? To start growing that user base? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, what, what was that journey like?
1: So, you know, my expectations were pretty low, I'll be quite honest. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a realist type of person. I'm not, I'm not a pessimist, I'm not really optimistic, I'm more of a realist person, so, mm-hmm. My, in my mind, I was thinking, I don't know how this is going to turn out. People may hate it. People may like it. My whole goal, which was something that I've, a lot of us need to do as entrepreneurs, is sort of divorce yourself from the outcome and put out the best product and then see how the beta and see how people work. Because it's, it's really hard to say, these are, these are my metrics I'm going to try to reach with the beta that we only have 32 films and we have a site that's 9% done. I wasn't expecting to hit a million subscribers with that, with that, you know, with the product the way that it was. My goal was to introduce my vision to the world and see if other people believed in my vision enough to pay me money. Yeah. I just, you know, (laughs) and then who weren't my parents or like my siblings and my husband, you know, like, Uh or like my best friend who was like, girl, I'm like, you know, I love you. So um, that was like my main goal. and so my expectations were super low. When we launched our beta, uh, one of those, like, a, a black news organization talked about us, and we got some traction. We got, you know, like, like 500 people, like, signed up, you know. Yes. It was insane. Uh-huh. I was like, what? You have subscribers and money? And, you know, I mean, we were, we were making it rain, but, you know, um, we definitely, you know, were able to prove that people were interested in it. I think, you know, some of the challenges were the site, the challenges were the fact that, you know, we didn't have a lot of money to acquire a lot of content. So, you know, people, the way Netflix is able to do so well, is because they acquire so much content, right? And their distribution channel, they're they on everything, they're everywhere. They do you know, people wanted apps and all those things that with my resources, I wasn't able to do, even since they, I still have a lot of limitations and so, those were, once people were on, then the challenge was how do I keep these people because our site isn't perfect and, you know, I'm still constantly trying to add new content to the platform. As I tell people, feeding the monster because if you don't constantly have fresh, new, good content, people will leave. And so that was some of the challenges I faced amongst many others <laughs> early on. But I didn't really have a, a time set or or a number I was looking for. I just wanted to See, I wanted to test to see if independent film, independent black film, would be something that people would be interested in.
0: So you had a theory, which is where most startups actually start with, right? Will somebody pay me for this? Um, also, mm-hmm. and you tested that theory. It will, and you, and I love that you were so you were so specific, right? You're not chasing every and and anybody. You're like, well, independent filmmakers pay me to drive their content through quality TV as a street. Right, fan. so
1: independent filmmakers do not pay me, their subscribers pay us, we pay our, we pay pay. our filmmakers, we, yeah.
0: So, so, okay, so this is like what we do with um, my company. Um, the, the end user or regular folks like myself,
2: mm-hmm. your,
0: um, your, um, your contractors are your independent filmmakers. Right. Those are your contractors, they bring materials for you into the, into the app and you distribute it to, to, a, um, to all, anyone like myself that want to watch movie, right? Right, right. Um, and then you take a percentage cut from that, right? When you look at that contract, right? You take a right. percentage of that, that fee that, that, mm-hmm. that, that's earned from subscribers. And then right. you, you, you take a percentage of that and you distribute the rest to them
1: hmm Right. So sixty sixty percent of our revenue, I would say sixty because Some people are like six, like no, it's sixty percent uh-huh. of our revenue goes to our, our creators and we pay them every single quarter. And so we a, a good chunk of our revenue, our subscription revenue um goes back to our filmmakers. And so when we get those subscription dollars, we want to make sure we're filtering that back in to our independent filmmakers on our platform.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. And sixty percent, that's pretty good. Um and so that means you earn their trust, you distribute back to them. Those, those trusts were earned by those 32 um, independent filmmakers that trusted you with the content. You earned revenue, we distribute distributed back. But I think there were also inflection points that were challenging, just emotionally challenging, I'm sure, through this process, right? You gotta slap back and you were chasing um, the what we consider more of the roadblocker blocker in your industry. This 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 individuals you you you're going you're going to the different different I would say what world show right to, to be able to distribute um to to get independent filmmakers and you're like okay I can't get through that channel I am going I'm gonna consider that a different channel how were you able to pause reflecting that and pivot and then now I think you said you also have to emotionally dis- detach yourself from. Some of the metrics. So sometimes you don't reach those metrics. It can be more. It can be emotionally taxing as well on founders. How have you um, overcome that?
1: Yeah, I mean, gosh, I've experienced so many challenges with like any entrepreneur, right? I mean, people like, wow, you're killing it. Like killing myself too, in a way. I mean, like people have no idea what entrepreneurs like the work and sacrifice to go. Even not just us, but if we have families, you know, the things the sacrifices that they make um so you can have a work on having a successful business. But um, you know, early on, you know, like a lot of people, I had like, oh, I wanted to do this and do that, and it just it took a lot longer than I had ever anticipated. I had so many developers, I had four CTOs over the course of two years. Four wow. CTOs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, two of them ghosted, uh, one left, another person Messed up the site and they, they we both mutually tied to part. Um, we lost a lot of money and a lot of time and energy. I spent a lot of energy looking for investors who, like, you know, we need more metrics, we need more of this, we need more of that. I'm like, okay, I, I raised 20, I wanted $20,000 grant and you expect me to increase my um, user base month over month by 50% with what money? With, with what? Like, how am I supposed to make that happen? Yeah. And so I just kind of gave up talking to investors. I no no shade to investors. But for me personally, which is really frustrating talking with them. They, they wanted, like, uh, us to move a mountain with, you know, a penny. And it was really impossible. But you would see other people with literally – I was a part of this accelerator. And I remember the first time I was um, denied, they, were, they had some questions about my revenue model. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I did switch, because of them, I did change my revenue model, so I was very happy that, you know, I had to think through it more, so it was, I guess it was a blessing in disguise, but when I was accepted the second time, it was interesting because some of the people who were accepted into the program didn't even have a revenue model, they didn't even, they didn't have, they brought in the website, they, you know, they were still trying to figure out their revenue model, mm-hmm. but I think it's because they, they, were, they were concerned about my revenue model, I had, one, I had customers, I had paying customers. The whole point of the accelerator is for me to work through yeah. things with the, and so, but you know, to say that the, re, the reality that we face, I think as black entrepreneurs is that we have to be absolutely positively perfect. We have to have our revenue model, we, have to, we need customers, we need all these things when other people can just go in with an ideal and not have everything flushed all the way. And they're still able to move forward and get money and get the resources that they need. And so um, you know, between end of like we launched in fall our beta in fall of 2015. My goal was to be out of beta by January 2016. That did not happen at all. It was a total disaster. And I spent all of 2016 trying to find an investor. That was a total disaster, and we lost a lot of time and energy. And in 2017, my thing is, as entrepreneurs start learning, if if one if you keep you know let's say keep hitting here on the wall, and, you know like and nothing changes, you need to try something new. And right. so, 2016, said, like, okay, I'm not focusing on investors. I'm going to focus on other ways to to get money to to get out of beta. In 2017, was when I was in pitch competitions. I was probably like five or six. I won every single one. I didn't lose not one pitch competition from between February and December of 2017. Find ways.
0: Finding the ways to
2: make yeah. it happen. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. And it was I was able because of the those resources, I was able to launch we were able to launch at the, launch of the beta fall of fall 2017 because we raised some money um from these pitch competitions. And so it was a learning experience for me to say, okay, if one way doesn't work, it doesn't mean that you're a failure, you just have to figure out another another way around it. And um I think a lot of times, as entrepreneurs, you put a lot of weight into what, and you should definitely. I'm not saying I'm to invest. I'm not anti-investor. It probably sounds like I am because I'm in a way, of, I you know, know. but <laughs> I'm not anti-investor. I mean, bootstrapping, I some-
0: like bootstrapping has to happen, right? Um, to some to some extent, it's like if you believe in your vision so much, there are times that you're gonna try certain certain doors and they will not open but you believe in your vision and you've got to find alternative way to get to get to the next milestone that you need right um, and that can be it can be challenging it can be challenging
1: right it, it, i mean it can be a, i think for a lot, of, a lot of entrepreneurs they look at okay what does success look like for entrepreneur I, I think you know with the whole vc world we've sort of changed what success looks like mm-hmm. for a startup a startup success isn't be having a company that you pay people and you grow you know bit by bit and you know no success means you raise a gazillion dollars you may not even be making money you may be losing bleeding hemorrhaging money every you know all the time but your growth is to the roof and eventually you're just going to sell and all the investors are going to get their money back you know damn um the mission then what the initial what the initial vision was for the company, or the sanity, or of the of the founders, or this, the sanity of the employees, looking like away and Uber, all those other companies have had to take a step back. Where we work and, and how people are treated, it's all about we want to make sure you win. Investors, not all, but you know some of these VCs, we want to make sure you win, no matter the cost, no matter you know if you go mentally crazy or not, if you work super long hours whatever the case may be, our goal is to make sure that we we get our money back tenfold and we don't care about what the initial vision of the company was. And, we, and I feel like um, it sort of changes the dynamic of why people go into business in the first place. And so for me, I had to change. We talk about the mental roller coaster. I had to change the fact of, okay, what does success look, what does it look like for me don't worry about blah, 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 raising millions of dollars because you're not able to, raise. there's really nothing I can do, right? These are the strengths that I have, and this is the best I can do with the resources that I have. And looking at someone else who's maybe raising to raise millions of dollars, maybe their idea isn't even, isn't even as sound, but they're able to raise money. And I'm, I'm hurt because what I do wrong, why don't investors, mm-hmm. why don't they want me? You know, like. And it can it can play with your mind versus investors saying okay this company while wow, they've been able to push through despite all the challenges let's give them let's just let's, let's give a try and give them some money it doesn't work like that and so um, my goal has been to just not really I mean I get we all get there sometimes like man you know if I had if I had a million dollars in the bank you know I you know can deal with that and we all get there sometimes but I really try to stay focused on my mission knowing that this is in a, a marathon right Absolutely. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and focus on that um because it's just such a up and down such an up and down you know trying to make what you build work and grow and, and succeed
0: and, and it's cool that you all you take a step back right to actually assess that that my mission is my driven force to why i'm doing the work that i'm doing it's a greater message and the the message for quality tv From what I understood it, you can correct me as a founder, since you're in front of me, is where you started with the magazine, it is to empower the voices of those that usually don't get a a first shot or a second shot, right, Mm -hmm. independent filmmakers. Their stories are valid. Um, Their stories are important. Their their stories need a bigger bigger audience to be told and be heard and be listened to. Um, They matter. That is what drives you. That's, that's what I'm getting. And so that mission itself, even though it may not, well, it may not tie to a a sales metric, um, it may not be tied to. But it, it is a important. It, it is an important uh, metric. And the reason I brought this up, I had a, I, I interviewed a VC recently. Um, he's a VC now, but he started a comp. He started his first company. Called Give Forward, and in, in that he was working with um, he was he was working with individuals that um, that had medical out of pocket expenses. Um, that was his mission, right? Out of medical out of um, out of pocket expenses, helped help them raise money, and their me- original metric was giving hugs. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that motivated them to keep going. They bootstrapped for two years. Mm -hmm. And this is a founder that is Caucasian. They bootstrap for two years and then they end up getting to Techstar. So they had a lot of investors that said no to them in the first few years. After they got into Techstar in 2010, I think those investors came around in 2011 and said yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's like everything. Do not be afraid to bootstrap. I am bootstrapping um, with my company. Um, And black founders, sometimes it happens with black founders. You got to bootstrap. Um mm-hmm. be, it may it can be very tasking, but your mission should be your driving force. That's what right. I'm thinking, right? That should be yeah. the, the thing that gets you up and find a way to measure that. Whether, whether mm-hmm. that is I am gonna take take care of myself with self-care, because it's hard. Oh right? yes, so it's self-care. Hard, um, <laughs> and getting those nose, you, really dis- you can't really detach from, from those nose. It happens. You are there days you're gonna get so many no's and you are be like, Golly, this is tough. And then there's a statistic out there that 72% of entrepreneurs ended up um, with mental health issues.
1: I can see. I can believe <laughs> that.
0: So just imagine. But, so you, you sacrifice. You, you bring in all of your 401k, all of your money. Um, yeah.
1: What 401k? Like, I, haven't, I haven't put any money into a 401k. My husband's putting money into his. But yeah, yeah I'm like, gosh, what about? I'm going to retire. Hopefully things Take off, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! So some of the sacrifices, right?
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: I'm naturally made. That I don't have any cash. Um, I make this sacrifice, and I may I might go bankrupt. You, thankfully, you have a significant other. but if right, if you go bankrupt, you lose a home, and then you're you on. Maybe you go back to get getting a job. If if, if they want to even hire you, or right, right. Uh, on, mm-hmm. on the street, um, right, right. Um, well, the reward—the other side of the reward—is well, what's happening now? Some of the, the milestones you've been able to achieve, right? Right. I, I right. Heard, um, there was recently that you announced that um, Comcast picked you up, and then you're in conversation with with um, Cox Communications. Right.
1: User. Right. Tell me about those. Right. So it's interesting because you know, I mean, being in the DC area, I I knew someone who actually works at who works at Comcast. He's on the policy side of things. And at the time when I initially met him, I used to help host a radio show in D.C. on WPFW 9.3 FM, and I met him um, because he was working with a colleague who was on the show talking about. They were talking about some type of program they were doing in D.C. to bring um, like low income, like low, like low level, like Wi-Fi or broadband to low income communities. And so I was telling them about my Empower Players Awards and I told you I had like a, a award ceremony for local heroes and I was like, well, Comcast would be a really great uh, sponsor. And I asked them if they could be a sponsor and well, I met when I met Tony and they wrote me a check for five grand to sponsor. Basically they paid for my event that year and, and they pay, and sponsored my event the second year as well. And, um, and I was sort of trying to figure things out. I was telling him about the second, so when we had the second, right before uh, we had the second event, before I got the check, I told him, I said, like, hey, you know, FYI, and this was like, this was 2014. I said, I had this idea for this company, it's a streaming service called Play TV, and I was like, you know, I'm I, I'm so far from being on Comcast, but I was asking him, like, what that look like having a channel on Comcast? And I mean, he's on the positive side, but he had some insight, and he was like, you know, it's like, well, you know, once you get there, let me know. Like you just need a lot of content, enough content, and it has to be good. That's what he told me. And we were just kind of talking about the type of content and I was telling him about the independent film and things like that. He was like, Well, once you're ready, you know, let me know. <clears throat> or well, he said he'll let me know too. And so fast forward a couple of years, you know, we're we're up and running and he reaches out to me and was like, because at the time, so back in, so when we launched on the beta, he asked for, like, access so you can kind of see the content that we have. And then he emailed me and said, hey, Deshaun, I think you're ready now. And so. What, and when, the,
0: when did that happen when you, when he
1: reached that out? That was, right now? that was, that was 2018. That was, like, March. It was two years ago. Ah.
2: Uh-huh.
1: March, March 2018. And so, was it, was it 2018? No, actually it was 2017. Really? Yeah, we launched other beta fall two thousand seventeen. At the end of two thousand seventeen, he connects me with the, like a, the VP for diversity programming for Comcast. We have a conversation over the phone that December two thousand seventeen. So see how and this is twenty twenty, yeah, and yeah. Um, and so we were like, okay, let's schedule a time to come to Philly because that's where their are headquartered. And just in DC, it's an easy train ride to Philly. So I ended up getting into an accelerator in New York City. So I was actually living in New York, the first half of 2018. Mm -hmm. And so we set up a time to meet in in Philly. So I was going, I live in New York. So I basically took the train from New York to Philly and then back to New York. And I was going to be in New York for a couple of days. And then I I would come home like on the weekends, you know, be with my husband and stuff. And so I remember it was funny the day of my meeting, because I was so nervous. there was like this major Amtrak issue that day and I got to the train station super early. I had everything planned out. My meeting was for uh-huh. my meeting was for 11:00 a.m. And so my goal was to get to Philly by like 9 30, super early. Like because cause sometimes there can be train delays like, well, you know, an hour and a half, that should be more enough time for any train delays. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like the worst train delay ever. But there were tr- no trains had come in and out since six a.m., and so, uh-huh. <laughs> and, and they like literally, and so like so around nine thirty, I'm still I was supposed to be in Philly at nine thirty, at nine thirty I'm still at uh, Penn Station. Like, oh my gosh. So I contact... Did
2: you text them then to
1: let them know what was happening? Yeah, I told, they were like, yeah, we know. We have, We said, we're like, yeah, we have a a, a coworker who's in Jersey who uh, they couldn't get down either. So basically, no one could, like, literally the whole from New York to all the way down, like, between New York and D.C., like, there were no trains in and out because there's some issue with, with the bridge in New Jersey. So mm-hmm. no one could go in, no one could go out. And I was like, oh my God, all the days... And so, there's something happened where they were able to finally fix the, fix something with the bridge. At this time, it was like, maybe like 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I saw, I'm not sure if you, you go to New York a lot. Sure you, so, you know, New York is such a herd. Like, you look on the thing, you see it you know, incoming, right? Mm-hmm. So, I saw like, a. it was a seller, my train was still canceled, or it was like, it was still delayed, it didn't have any time for, it was like everything was delayed. Every, but one train, when I saw the train, was not delayed, it was on standby, nah. southbound. And I was, I literally called Amtrak, cause some people were like standing in line. I called Amtrak and I was like, um, I'm in New York. I need to get to feel like right away ahead is me. So it's be like 11 o'clock. And, like, and I was like, I see if a train is on standby. And they were like, yeah, we see it. If you, if you make it, you'll get to Philly at, at 10, 1055. I was like, can I get in? And he was like, last scene, as I said, I was like, I just changed over my ticket. And because uh, it was still at standby, and he was like, as long as it's still standby, I can get in. And he was able to change my ticket. Once he, he sent me the email and switched to the ticket, it was like, gate 7C. <laughs> I made on a train. And they were like, if, you, if this is your train, you should not be on here. And they were checking hard. They, weren't, they didn't start the train until I checked. Everyone's checking to make sure we weren't just like lying and saying we're going to stop mm-hmm. out. So that literally, I just on the wheel was able to get on this train. This train got to Philly at 1055. Thankfully, the train station was literally a couple blocks away. I took an Uber and I got to, um, I got there at 11. (laughs) Good time. Yeah. (laughs) I guess, I mean, I was at the front door at 11. But I didn't really go upstairs. I mean, you know, that's like, so technically sitting down to the meeting, I was like 10 minutes late once I sat down, but that was it, I was just 10 minutes late <laughs> of all the drama that I went through. And um, I gave my presentation and and they liked the content. And from there it was really the process of signing the contract or you know, and and trying to work out the, you know, work out the details with them. What took the longest amount of time was really because we signed a contract with them, I wanna say like fall 2018 and we started working on trying to put together a platform for 2019 the goal was to launch on there like early 2019 but comcast they have like a lot of these companies have this particular way it's not an app they just pop up like they have certain technical parameters that they need in order for you to be on their platform and i was working working with another company that i thought could get it done and i waited for months like literally by this time last year, I kind of gave up on this one company because they weren't able to deliver for me. And so I reached out to another company that could help me, it's a, a third party that could help me get on Comcast. So we were working on that. And then as a startup, I didn't really have the resources to be able to pay this company to, to, to work on getting us on Comcast because it was a, it's a, a decent investment to do it. And Comcast had the had, which a uh, tolling stand I want to do myself. They want to make sure their their films are are closed captioned so people who are hearing and impaired can also enjoy the content.
2: Mm.
1: Our independent filmmakers, for the most part, they do not have their films closed captioned, and so another added expense. <laughs>
0: exactly. So how did? Wow. So go ahead, continue your story.
1: <laughs> so. You know, by, so by, I would say March, 2019, I was, again, depressed because like, how am I going to get, you know, you know, Comcast? I had this, this contract that they were ready. And I was quite honest with them. I was like, you know, I can't sell, I can't sign the contract right now because we don't have the money to pay you to get on Comcast, you know, the, their down payment. And I had to tell Comcast, like, I'm working on, I'm working on captions and I'm working on working, trying to work with this company so we can get on. And they're very patient with me, extremely patient Comcast. Lo and behold, uh, last year I participated in this, um, it was a festival, not a festival, it was like a conference um, in the Netherlands, the GES, the Global Entrepreneurship Summit. And I was a part of Halcyon in, in DC, in Georgetown. And as a Halcyon alum, some of us were able to get free tickets to a tennis event. They paid for our flight to the Netherlands uh-huh,
2: uh-huh. and they
1: paid for a hotel. And so, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into this because last year was such a crazy year, like emotionally and financially for the company, had a lot of ups and downs, so I wasn't sure I wasn't really feeling going to be quite honest. It was June of last year. And so I was like, I, I literally prayed to him and I tell you, like, I need to get something out of this. Something has to come out of this, you know, for me to go. And so I went there and I'm meeting um, a, a VC, they're all in their named Desiree. She was based in Amsterdam, but no. She knows she's from the U.S. I think she's from Michigan, but she lives in Amsterdam. And I was telling her about, so it was this type of, like, it was like a networking with VCs and entrepreneurs. And there were three of us, these two guys, I never met one guy from India. Another guy was from the Ukraine or something like that. And we were all just kind of sparked a conversation about companies and we we're all just practicing pitching amongst each other because we couldn't get into this big room because they already filled their spaces. Desiree um, came out and she was like, Hey, um, other guys are you guys practice pitching? We're like, yeah. And it's like, well, I tried to go in, I'm supposed to be a mentor, but they have, they messed up and they didn't have any space for me. So I'll just help you guys out. And so we all did our pitches. And so she was really intrigued by Koei TV. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, i want to connect you with some people. And I told her, so like, what do you need? I was like, okay, yeah, I would be great to have half a million as a you know a seat, but yeah. yep. I'm, but honestly, if I can just get 10 grand because that's how much I need to be on, if I can just get 10 grand to be on Comcast, like that's how much I need to pay this contractor to get some initial films, closed caption, just to kind of get the ball rolling. And So that's it. I'm like, yeah. And so she made a phone call to an investor here in the U.S. And that investor, uh, we had a, a black, a brother, uh, he's based, <laughs> he's based in St. Listen, he's based in um cincinnati and miami and he also um you know had a startup company brian i'm not sure if you know him Um uh, brian bright um i always mess up his last name but um he had a startup company that was about face recognition software oh yeah 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 um breaking i always get it wrong i always say his last name um,
0: i i think i i, I know him He's, he lives in atlanta now
1: no no, no, he he's in Cincinnati and Miami. because there,
0: there's a there's another company that that has a tool on face recognition that um that sold to Amazon.
1: Uh, so, so this so, company.
0: That's not him. Okay.
1: So this company, um, he he was pushed out. It was oh, a huge story.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I know of him. I, I've I've I read the story. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I remember reading about him before I met him. He's a really great guy he was pushed out of his company because he did not want to sell it to like Amazon. He did not want to use his software to be used against black people or, or immigrants, right? Um, he wanted to use it for good, not to um, not to police people of color. And so um, when the, his investors basically pushed him out and they tried to sue him and all that, but he ended up suing them and he ended up winning, money. Uh, he ended up winning that case, which worked out. And so now he's a, he's a VC, he's a good VC, he's a, he's a good guy. And so um, she connected with him and I pitched to him and his wife, because his wife is, they also, they own this, the, the company together. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was literally had just flown to Jamaica because I, I went to, I was invited to a film festival last year in Jamaica and I landed. he's like, I've been trying to call you. I was like, huh? It's like You went viral to the desk, like, huh? And he talked about us on, on Twitter. But yeah, because of him, we got the he gave us the ten thousand um, dollars, his VC company to be able to launch on Comcast. And we got that money. I want to say July, August of twenty nineteen. Uh-huh. And from there, I literally, literally the next day, I sent the people work with the with the third party vendor, the contractor, so we can have our content on on Comcast. And then I started working from there, trying to get things closed captioned to be on Comcast and yeah. And finally, literally like December 28th was when we flipped the switch on Comcast. And because, so that was the journey for that. And wow. then with Cox, mm-hmm. they partnered with Comcast and a representative from, from Cox reached out to me, saying, hey, I heard you on Comcast. I'm interested in learning more. And that's pretty much how it all started from there. So it was a long journey. <laughs>
0: Patience, determination, and just trying—pure will and trying to make yeah, it work—and yeah. um,
1: yeah.
0: then some luck here and there as well. Persistence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that journey is tough. It is tough. But having another person be on the other side, who started a, a great company, get out, 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 get pushed out, and he, he understands your journey. I'm sure of all people, even though you've oh, been yeah. raised. Um, of all of all people here, just probably understand your journey, and he's empathy, right? Goes mm-hmm. away. Uh, oh
1: yeah, definitely.
0: And one thing, though as well when you before you guys launched um, that announcement, there was supposed to be a big celebration. Mhm. But that celebration got pushed back, got cancelled. But you just did, did more of the social media announcement. Right. What was, that, what was the celebration?
1: Right, so Comcast had an idea uh, for me to actually go to Philly, where mm-hmm. the headquarters have a press conference and, and do a, a one-on-one conversation with the press, with the with the person of, in charge of diversity. But because the of coronavirus, of course, every, all that was canceled. I couldn't travel to Philly; it wouldn't be safe. But you know, things like that happen, right? Um, I was very disappointed. We initially we're going to do it for Black History Month, and then we pushed it to. Women's History Month, but the whole coronavirus really exploded in March and really prevented all of us. It really kind of changed everything. I mean, I'm typically traveling all the time. Like, I uh, I was in New York in January. I was in Berlin in February. I was supposed to be in Philly in March, and I had some other things that was, that was in, on the pike, but all that's canceled. I'm here. <laughs> so... I think a lot of us are kind of going through the same thing where you have these big plans for for 2020. I had big plans for 2020 like oh my god I was like yeah I'm ready to rock and roll.
2: Yep.
1: But you know it's not happening that way for a lot of us. Things are being canceled. We're pushing back certain initiatives. In- in-person events are, are we can't do right now and I think people are just adapting to the resources and and what we can do with, with, with our situation. And I think that's what I've been trying to do with Quill TV and, and I think, I don't like using use the word opportunity because um, as a person who's in, who has empathy, I never wanna see a pandemic as opportunity. I think, what like, what's, what's your opportunity? When people are dying and gasping for air and, and dying alone without their loved ones, I, I don't like using that term, but I think that during this time, it's a time to self-reflect, which I've been doing about what's important, what's not important. What's my bigger vision, you know, for my company? And how can I, what 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 type of impact, positive impact can I do with the resources that I have? I'm not, I don't have a lot of money. I, I'm not Netflix. I can't, I think Netflix has like a, what, a $50 million grant or something to various organizations so they can pump money into entrepreneurs or in um filmmakers and, and things like that and people who work in the film industry if you do doing hair and people who are really being impacted you can't do hair for social distancing we don't we can't do that but you know what we can do is make sure we're creating space of heals and mental escape and and laughter for people during this time oh, with the limited resources that we have
0: <laughs> and i think that's the perspective to look at it from right that you're creating joy through mm-hmm. your content and that joy is impacting many, many lives, right? It can be a little boy finally mm-hmm. looking, um, viewing that independent theme that captured him, that inspires that little boy to, to, to change, right? Right. Um, right. And so that's, that's the joy. If you focus on that, that gives that still the inspiration with the, your mission that mm-hmm. a little black boy finally sitting, sitting there for the first time seeing an independent theme, like, I wanna be a filmmaker one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at that, and, and, and if you take it a little for, a, a step further, I think for, for us in this moment, it's not preparation and opportunity present, right? Mm-hmm. Circumstances happen. We show empathy. Um, some, some of us have tremendously been impacted. I've been impacted myself through my journey um, with in of Cares. Um, but telehealth and wellness, it's become very paramount, right? Mm-hmm. Now, because of social distancing, we have to support these clinicians that are impacted. They have to close out their business or they have to see less patients in person because of social distancing. Then now they have to actually jump on and be put on a platform to be able to see, do virtual care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's preparation. And if you, five, six years ago, if you were not grinding, right? You're not grinding mm-hmm. and preparing for this moment, you will lose it. Um, so mm-hmm. being able to adapt and change and all with the punches are so important and it took five years of that preparation and here you are. People that are still grinding in this moment to pro- provide joy, whatever little it is, are usually the, the, those that come out of it, get um, mm-hmm. the ground and when we're all through this, this p- pandemic, right? Right, right. Um, so it's, it's not, I wouldn't say it's opportunist, you're, you're still providing joy to mm-hmm.
2: individuals
0: um, where they are currently and I think you mentioned Netflix. You, we, we have Disney. Disney had an estimated 60 million, right? For two or, two or three years, they're gonna hit that. Four years or so, mm-hmm. 2022, 20, they say they're gonna hit that. They going to hit it because everybody's social distancing. Um, everybody's bored at home. I don't know, if you, there's a song out there um, on TikTok, bored, bored in the House, Bored in the House. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> so if you're bored in the house, you're sitting home. And people that are really trying to figure out what to do. And that's the other mm-hmm. side of mental health, right? People are bored, they, they can do social distancing. And imagine those people that are already depressed, chronically depressed. Um, their mental health becomes very paramount and you guys are providing joy to those individuals that are mentally, chronically depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't go outside. And now take it a step further, those people that really have this um, fear of going outside, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a mental health condition. If you have really oh, yeah. side, no matter if it, it was COVID-19, you're still meeting them there um, through your content. so it's, I don't think it's opportunist opportunistic. I think it's a, it's a different way of way for me that you're, you're providing joy as opposed to being right, a right.
1: Right. And this how awesome. I can look at it. The thing is like people. I hear people say this is a great opportunity like this this pandemic has been a great opportunity like uh, for some people it, it's not that and so i'm very sensitive to the language that i use when you mention a pandemic because you don't want people to think that oh yes you know i mean it's a you know i'm in for the bag you know i'm securing all these bags
3: mm-hmm. when
1: some people are dying or losing loved ones and so um i'm very sensitive to that but at the same time I do, you know, we're a company where we're not a non-profit, we're for profit. And our, my goal is to try to, you know, stay open during all of this, and, but also provide a real service that hopefully, you know, people will want to need during all of this.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm so grateful for your time. I think uh, it's so imp- important and the roller coaster of emotion that you had to endure to be where you are currently. And 2020 is, as you continue to grind, there's, there's clearly going you know, to be what milestones you, you will continue to achieve. So, what are some what are the ways that you want people to be able to support you? Right. When you say 2020, what are those mm-hmm. goals? What do those goals look like? How can we support?
1: The goals right now are just really distribution. If you know anyone who works for some of the other companies like you know Spectrum or AT&T, Verizon, you know, I definitely want to connect with them. We definitely want to increase our distribution channels. And honestly, just spread the word about Kalei TV, share on social media and tell people about us. That's also another great way to, to really basically, you know, support me. Because if we have more people subscribing, then we're able to do more work and really support more independent filmmakers.
0: Absolutely. So, so you are then, where, where are you currently? You're on, you're on IG? You're on IG?
1: Um, yeah, we're on we're on IG, we're on Twitter and uh, we're on Facebook. We don't have TikTok or anything not like yet, that. Yeah,
0: TikTok. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's like TikTok. You you know, so like with Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, you can pop up some trailers and you're good to go. TikTok yeah. is very different, you know, TikTok is really about not spare the moment, but really being creative and creating, you know, really interesting videos and um if we were to be on TikTok, I'm not, I can't just pop up a, a trailer. People aren't going to watch that, but they would buy something else. So I've been really trying to figure out some different ways in which we can use like a TikTok to, um, to garner, you know, um, our brand there that, you know, that we can move. Cause being a TikTok, you can, you know, download, you can put it on, same videos on other platforms, right? So th- that's kind of what I'm exploring right now with TikTok. But um, yeah, we're not TikTok. I, the videos are interesting. TikTok is a very interesting space for sure.
0: Because <laughs> so you kind of think of the demographic, right? Because that demographic ultimately, you're going to have to hit that demographic, right? Exactly. That is the demographic that's here to stay. Um, they're growing up. They're with. We 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 transition um uh, we transition from Facebook we like IG now we use more of that our parents are on Facebook um, mm-hmm. well, <laughs> our yeah. parents our age group our parents are on Facebook now we've tra- we we tra- transitioned to IG and then now the youth that are lost. They're on TikTok I mean oh, not even not
1: even not even <laughs> on Snap really I mean I feel like they're on TikTok more than Snap you know to be quite honest but. Uh, yeah, yeah, TikTok like Gen Gen Z like they're they're on TikTok. So I definitely want to make sure that our presence is known on there, and just trying to figure out you know what that looks like. We have we have an account like Closetv has a TikTok account. It just yeah. no nothing's there yeah. because <laughs> uh, my goal is to be security account, account, uh, but we haven't done anything with it quite yet.
0: Awesome. So for the audience, you can find. Quality quality TV on IG, um, on their website, on Comcast, soon to be on COX. Um,
1: We're on on, uh, Roku, Apple TV, TV. Amazon Fire Stick, we have an iOS app, and we're also Google Play Android as well.
0: So you, you guys have no excuse to not find them, to support them, whether that is, especially in the movements like this, how do you support Black founders? And black businesses share 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 hit the share button go on their site hit the share button and spread the word um if you can support them financially also any introduction helps um at you know somebody there um feel free to send 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 them um we're are actually going to leave the contact con- contact on our website as well um for the show. um Anywhere else that people can find you?
1: Those are the main spots, you know, IG, Twitter, Facebook, and you know, and Comcast, tsunami Cox, and all the other apps. That's the best way to reach us right now.
0: Amazing. Any last minute words for any entrepreneurs out there that starting out, it's hard, and they're struggling um, emotionally, any last minute thoughts?
1: Emotionally, you know I've definitely been there uh, where I have my roller coaster moments. I yep. think it's actually it's okay to so it's okay to cry you know, I know. <laughs> yep. but, but at the end of the day, you know get get that out but then keep pushing forward because whenever I get into a funk a customer message messages me or I get a call from a filmmaker that okay, you know what I'm in business and you're gonna have your bad days, but you need to just keep pushing. No one has had it easy. Even the big um, companies that, you know, the ones who that have raised millions of dollars, they if you, you know, kind of peel behind the scenes, you will see they've all, we've all struggled. They've all struggled to to be successful, but it's, it's okay to, it's okay to have those emotions. Don't be like, oh, I know I'm feeling nothing. I think a lot of times we try to be strong and then try to push things off, but definitely take that time to mourn if you get a rejection, but then just know that the next day, you know, dust your shoulders off and you got to keep trying again because you're going to get a bunch of no's. But it's all, all you need is like that one yes. I mean, that's all that really matters.
0: Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you so much for being here um, today. Really, um, your your story is very inspirational for me um, to see another entrepreneur being successful. So thank you.
1: Thanks for having me.
3: Our state of well-being decides our rate of productivity. This is why the health of your employees are important to you, like that of an athlete is important to the coach. Even though the access to healthcare is sometimes unaffordable and time-consuming for most people, Marie still cares about her employees' well-being, so she signs everyone up on in-off cares. Inov Cares is a telehealth and wellness platform that brings affordable healthcare services to people wherever they are. Marie's employees do not need to wait in line to book an appointment with a doctor. All they have to do is grab their phone and get connected to a doctor or any healthcare provider at just a few clicks. They have access to health specialists at the very best price and get the very best lifestyle tips to avoid chronic diseases. Matt, on the other hand, is a soccer coach and has all his players signed up on InovCares. Apart from getting the best healthy lifestyle tips, they get connected to the right healthcare provider in case they get an injury and the recovery process is being followed up. Get rewards, join the health tribe, connect health devices, tick your action list and spend more time with a healthcare team with InovCares. Download your InovCares app on Google Play Store or Apple Store now.